coming up on this episode, we begin with Dan's Tesla test drive and our thoughts on the future of transportation. Then we get into the week tech news, including the idea behind social audio and an Apple Rumor Roundup. Stick around, it starts right now. This is Don't Panic, episode number 307, recorded April 12th, 2021. Oracle's Supreme Scheme. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Don't Panic, the technology podcast on gadgets, the internet, and without a doubt, you. I'm Sean Jennings, joined as always by a man who's just as boring as Joe Biden. It's Dan Miller. Hey, I can't wear the glasses as well, though. No, no, not at all. But you're much better at walking upstairs. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. What's going on, Dan? It's been a while. Uh, yeah, I got I got the shot. Hashtag got the shot, and that was an adventure, which we can which we can talk about. It wasn't actually an adventure. It was it was more a uh adventure of the mind. Uh, so we mm. uh oh, are things being slow again? No, you sound fine to, to me. Mm, I think we're experiencing some lag, but I'm just going to talk through it, even though you say I sound fine. Uh, so okay. we we live we as uh, close listeners of the show may know. I currently do not live in the place in which I reside, which is a confusing thing, but it has an important legal distinction: uh, residency. So I reside in New York, but I am not currently there, and so. Getting a vaccine is basically impossible because you need to reside in all the places that are giving them out. Uh, so we hear a couple of weeks ago that way out in the middle of nowhere in Washington, there's this uh, federally run thing that's going to be like distributing vaccines to anyone regardless of eligibility. Oh, and not only would we need to reside in New York, but like even if we did it, like I think at the time even then we couldn't have gotten the vaccine because we're, we're too young. And so we're like, Oh, anyone, even someone who's not eligible. And it was like, yep. And we're like, anyone, even if uh, you don't live in Washington and they were like, we won't ask where you live. And I was like, hmm, well, that's not exactly answering my question, but uh, okay. So we showed up and you know, those like digital highway signs they'll put up when there's like a detour or like road construction or something. Oh yeah. It was one of those, except it said like it was alternating between free vaccines, walk-ins welcome, free vaccines, walk-ins welcome. I was like, wow, what a contrast from Seattle or New York or most parts of Massachusetts, like any of these places. And sure enough, we, we drove up. They asked if we had an appointment, but we didn't need one said we did and then we drove through this like rude goldberg car machine and bounced between a couple different boots and then a, a very nice person in combat fatigues stuck a needle in our arm and and that was that no no questions asked they, they just asked if we had an appointment we gave them our name they confirmed that we did have an appointment we answered all the questions truthfully in the appointment um we do not live here we are over we are under the age of 55 um and Boop, through it. So we're going to take another three and a half hour drive in two weeks to uh, to get the second shot, but it will have been well worth it. 
I was gonna ask what what flavor did you get? I got the uh, uh, sparkling Pfizer uh, variant. Ah, you want the vanilla, not the chocolate. Gotcha. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, the other exciting thing that happened is we took a road trip last weekend to go to a national park, Olympic National Park, way bigger than we were expecting. Although in retrospect, if you look at it on the map, it's like, oh yeah, it's this whole like fifth of the state of Washington. Um, and we decided to rent a Tesla for two days to see what it's like to drive an electric car. Cause I've never driven one, uh, or a Tesla for that matter. And we rented one that had, that had all the features. I think, I think it had all the features. Uh, so, so here's my, my review. First of all, it char- having to charge the car is not as ba- as bad as I thought I was ready for it, but 20 minutes goes by really quickly. If you're going to like use the, try to use the bathroom, which often involves finding a place nearby that has a bathroom. There's 10 minutes right there. Um, and then another five minutes of figuring out where you're going to go next. And then it's like, Oh, there's only five minutes left. Um, so that wasn't so bad. Uh, the thing that was surprising was I was kind of ready to be disappointed by the the autopilot, which I don't know what the difference between autopilot and self full self-driving or if there is a distinction, I'm not sure. But the way it works is, or here's the, I feel like it's a thing that kind of over promises and under delivers a little bit. If instead they pitch it as how many times are you in a lane on a highway and sometimes it goes fast and sometimes it goes slow and, and you're just going fast and slow, you're stuck in traffic. But, you know, the kind of super variable traffic. What if you could just flip a switch on your car and it will just stay in that lane and you don't have to worry about it? Uh, that, it works amazing. It, it works scarily well at that. As soon as it needs to change lanes, either because someone's merging or you're going to, like, merge onto a, like, cut on an off-ramp and go onto another highway, that's when you're in, at the point where it's like, you're probably going to have to take over at some point. And that for me, it was, that was too stressful. I was like, I might as well just drive it myself. And if, if, if it's like a 50% chance that it's going to be like, boop, boop. Uh, but you're stuck in traffic, which happens a lot in Seattle. Uh, oh, it was amazing. Uh, I was surprised. Right. And it's like, Oh, well a little, you know, three minutes of traffic. What does it matter? And it's, I was surprised at how big of a difference it makes. And I tried it both ways. I tried it the way where you steer and it just controls the speed. So stopping and starting and stuff. Uh, And the one where it steers itself. And the steering itself one does make a big difference. I was surprised at the kind of mental load that it takes off. And I was also, I I heard people say like, oh, it helps you pay more attention to the road. And I was like, bullshit. Like what a, you know, what a bunch of marketing, uh, marketing speak but I, it does because you're not focused on like oh is is this person like going to turn into my lane because the car will beep at you if someone's turning in and uh where is the road going and you can just kind of focus or actually yeah it won't beep if someone's turning in but you just have to watch all the cars around you at that point and not pay so much attention as to like does the road curve slightly here uh so i thought it did did help a lot uh that was that. I miss CarPlay. Um, I think that's my whole review. Uh, oh, oh, it goes so really overall, fast. Overall positive. <laughs> yes. It, going back to a normal car, it was 
it did feel very sluggish. Like driving a Tesla felt, and maybe other electric cars are like this, but it felt like driving a video game car, right? Where mm-hmm. it's just, you just push down the pedal and then you're just, you're instantly going like almost as if it was programmed. And it's like, that's not really how cars work, right? There's always some like lag and you got to, you hear the engine or I don't know. I don't know how cars work. You hear something change gears and then you feel the more power. It's like, oh, okay, that was, that was not the case. Um, yeah. What was the other thing I was going to say? Uh, Miss CarPlay, it's super fast. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Wow. Well, they're exciting. That's cool. Maybe yeah. we'll, we'll turn you into a car guy after all. <laughs> yeah. Having now lived in the suburbs, kind of, again, in my adult life, I see, I see the, I think if you're commuting into the city, into any city, if you're commuting into a city and you live in the suburbs, it's very important that you have a car that you're comfortable spending a lot of time in because you will be spending a lot of time in it. <laughs> yep. Which well, kind of sucks, but. 86% of Americans commute to work by car. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about that. Like, have you? I don't know if you've been following these debates. I, and I sometimes wonder if only if I've like chosen to surround myself with people who debate this. They're like, should we be investing in electric cars, or should we really just be investing in getting rid of cars altogether? Have you have you been uh, observing any of this? Yeah, I do catch it now and then. Um, you know, I, I, not the sort of minutia of it, but definitely. You know, I'm so fascinated by not just that discussion, but sort of the next level of it is, well, what is public transportation? What does that mean? You know, is it just buses and trains or is it, you know, reducing roads and, and bike lanes and all these sort of other things that come along with it? It's not sort of a one size fits all solution for every city, which I find so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I, I think when I lived in a city, I was like, things in cities should be better and the things in cities should be better. Uh, don't like, don't get me wrong. Uh, there should be more bikes and fewer cars in cities and there should be more trains and fewer cars in cities. It just makes a lot of sense. Um, but now having lived outside of a city, I'm like, well, hold on a second. How would this work? If, if there were no cars, would there be trains everywhere? How do you go skiing? Uh, when there are only trains, like, well, then there would have to be buses. Well, then there would have to be roads. It's like, well, how could there be roads if the only things using them are buses? Like, I don't know. I just need someone to fill in the, fill in the blanks for me here and show the work. I, I did some Googling today. I was like, urbanism. I've heard this word. I was like Googling urbanism. I, I didn't find like an article that was like, here's the vision. Here's how this should work in the United States. It was just, the things I found are mostly like, here's how we should make cities better and cities should be better, but not like, here's the holistic vision for like, we want, if you want to get rid of yeah, cars it, altogether, not, it, you know, it's, it's cities, one of those things. It? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was done. Period. Oh, all right. Uh, you broke up a little bit there. No, I was going to oh, say, you know, right. and this is where I think the autonomous cars uh, question comes in. Because I feel like that is such a, an important future piece in this where, yeah, you know, all these things we've talked about, but if we get to the point where, and there's actually a story in the rundown tonight about Domino's Pizza, 
uh, being delivered by autonomous cars in Houston. But it's literally like at the Domino's, they put the pizzas in the car and then the car drives itself to you and you take out the pizzas. And it's gotten me thinking like, you know, maybe there is a future where. Because your story fascinates me, Dan, because you sometimes need a car. You know, most of the time you don't. But now that you're out doing things, you need a car. And I'm like, so what if the future isn't car or bus, but it's transportation on demand where if you're going to place A, the best way to get there is a bus and you get on the bus. Maybe you're going farther to place B. Place B is a rental autonomous car that comes and picks you up and takes you there. And there's a fleet of those. And so I just, I I think it's, again, it's not a one size fits all. I think having all these options um, in the end run is going to be more uh, economically efficient, more climate efficient uh, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. And then if you had that, you could design you could design roads differently such that they are safer and, you know, you don't have people on the roads themselves. But then this comes down to like the question of would we design roads differently? Can we design roads differently? Uh, Could you ever in America separate the man from the car? I don't know. I think that would be a tough sell, but maybe over time, maybe 50 years from now, Like, because one thing I I realized, even if we don't get to autonomous cars, and I don't think we're anywhere close, I don't, but I have no opinion on whether it's possible. But even if we don't, what is obvious to me is much like how in computers in the early days, you know, it was very low level and then it was command line. And then you had like the GUI and now you're in the cloud, like you kind of like move up the stack and you gain more leverage. Uh, with cars, it's very obvious to me that pretty soon in the next 10 years, most people can, I don't think they'll have to, but most people can operate their car instead of driving it, where you're just like telling your car what to do vaguely and intervening where necessary, but not. But you're not handling the minutia of like, oh, well, now I have to change lanes because two miles down the road is this exit and there's a lot of cars and you know there's a big backup. Um, yeah. Which I think is good, right? Because I was like, oh, yeah, like all the decisions I'm making as a human are like the, the most valuable decisions are how to navigate the macro sense of the highway. Like, oh, yeah, there's like a big backup coming up and my, my I've got a right exit. So I'm just going to get in the right lane now because I'm a good human being, people. You don't just try to cut in line at the right where the exit goes off because there's a mile long line of traffic. <clears throat> um and less like uh, I need to keep this car between these two lines and go at least 40 miles per hour, but no faster than 70. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can see that happening. But if, if you could redesign roads, that would be a big deal. Uh, but we have a hard enough time building bridges for existing roads. Uh, but yeah, who knows what can change. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. I, it, to me, it just comes down to, you know, New York City is always going to have a lot of public transportation. Maybe not enough. Maybe it's not perfect, but they're always going to be ahead of the curve. And Montana is always going to be way behind in public transportation because of how 
how where people live and the ruralness of it and things like that. You have to have a car, right? Because the nearest yeah. person may not be clo- uh, pretty darn close. For me, it's all about the mid-sized city, right? The the Chattanoogas and Des Moines and you know places like that where there isn't a lot of public transportation now, but there is the possibility for it. And I think if we can get enough of those mid-sized cities to invest in these different um, mediums, I think uh, I think it would be pretty exciting. I've just started noticing in the Springfield area here, uh, they have electric buses now. And I know this because the electric buses are wrapped in this black uh, with lightning bolts graphic all over it, that huge on the side in like lightning bolt font says electric bus. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. So... Are they made by Volkswagen? Did you see that story? (laughs) Volkswagen, yeah. Uh, You know what? That's got to be one of... Do you remember, this was a couple years ago, when the Long Island Ice Tea Company changed their name to the Long Island Blockchain Company? (laughs) No. Do you remember that story? No. Yeah, this was back when, like, blockchain first started becoming a thing, so they legally changed their company's name, and their stock, like, spiked, like, 300% in a day just because they added the word blockchain. It was kind of a marketing gimmick. And that's what Volkswagen, to me, it reminds me of, where it's like, that's not actually a thing, and that won't be a thing. A car will never say Volkswagen on it. That's a marketing thing. I don't believe it's real. Now, there's a Wikipedia article for the Long Blockchain Corporation. Yes. Yes. Yeah, man, that was a that was a thing. I think they ended up there was some sort of like uh SEC investigation or something around that little little yeah, bit right February there. The SEC delisted Long Blockchain Corp shares saying that the company had not filed financial reports at September 30th, 2018 and that it never completed its planned transition to blockchain technology. Mhm. Because it was not a thing. Uh, That's awesome. Um, well, good. Well, you know, Dan, I, I love when we can talk about the future of technology uh, with a couple of experts. Uh, if it makes you feel better. Before the show, I spent this evening manually purchasing and downloading MP3s from Amazon.com, loading them into my iTunes, and syncing them over USB. So here at the show, we focus on cutting-edge technology. What were you syncing them to? My iPhone. Wow. I'm sure there's some way to do it over the cloud, but... You don't trust the cloud. Yeah. You know, I just sometimes it's better to do things the old-fashioned way. Absolutely. Oh, I remember the other thing I was going to say about the electric car is when you get in, when you just coming from being inside an electric car and driving it around for like 12 hours to being around non-electric cars is the sound of other cars is so it, it just, you can, it sounds so bad. You're like, Oh, like yeah. that, like rattling sound. And it's like, you can eat, it's like mini explosions going up all over the place. It, it, it becomes very obvious because I guess that was the other thing is like, Driving the electric car felt like the time I was in a glider plane. A glider plane is a plane is a plane just without an engine. I don't know if I told this story. And they tow it up with an actual plane, and then you glide down or fall down, in other words, so they don't want to use that phrase. 
and that's and in a plane like that, it is so noisy because the only thing you hear is the air moving over the wings. So it feels like you feel much more connected to the outside world, and you're like, this thing is a metal can hurtling through the air. Uh, but when you're in a regular plane, you just hear. Yeah. Like, oh, what is happening? It's if I nice. had to make a, if I had to make a list of like the the sounds you could torture me by, <laughs> uh, airplane engines would definitely be up there. Yeah, and and after having driven an electric car, car engine noises like they they also obstruct the sound. So at first we were like, wow, this thing's really loud. And then after driving our other car again, I was like, oh, I just can't normally hear the tires on the road in this car because of the engine noise. Uh, right. Yeah, so that, that was also interesting. Anyways. Excellent. Tech news. Tech news. Uh, before we get to tech news, Dan. Yes. You didn't listen to last week's episode, did you? No. That Colby and I did? No, that's a good thing. Because I have a challenge for you if you're interested. Okay. I gave Colby the same challenge. I want to see if you can beat him. Are you interested? Yes. Okay. It is a it is a this week in Pickstery pick challenge. And what it's I have here nine items we've picked on the show over the years. All you have to do is tell me which host picked which item. Okay. Should be pretty straightforward. Colby got seven out of nine. Wow. Isn't that a Star so Trek character? So <laughs> We're going to see if you can beat him. Okay. <laughs> All right, here we go. The first one, the wire cutter. Oh, man. I think it's either you or me. I'm going to say you. That is correct. Very good. You're one for one. How about JetBlue? Colby. Colby also said Colby. The correct answer is you, Dan. What? You picked JetBlue. <laughs> At least I, I'm glad that we're on the same page. Uh, who doesn't love JetBlue? How about Face ID? Colby. Very good. Yeah, he always he always picks features. He doesn't necessarily pick, yeah, pick items. Features, it's always times he day. likes about it. Yeah, I'm picking the mid morning. Uh, how about the New York Times crossword? Sean. No, that was Colby. Mm. Colby, I'm too stupid to do crosswords, but thank you. You're welcome. Uh, how about AirPods? Me. I'll give it to you. It's actually a trick question. You and I both picked AirPods separately many times apart. There are a few things we've <laughs> picked more than once we didn't realize. So, But it, it, it was you and myself. How about MacBook? MacBook. Uh, Colby. Yes. Very good. That's a very Colby pick. Uh, how about Overcast? Uh, me. That is correct. Colby got that wrong. Uh, Monument Valley. Uh, me. Incorrect. That was Colby. Oh, man. Uh, and threes. Oh, man, that's another one. Uh, I'll also say, I'll say me again. It was me. I did oh, it. Oh, wow. You. Well, that was that was weak. You only got, uh, you got four wrong. Five correct, four wrong. Sorry. Sorry, Colby, I let you down. It was a valiant effort, um, but these things happen. 
so Lena has, we got uh, Lena in two threes. And by we, I mean me. <laughs> when she, you know, the, the stats page where you can go and see how many games you won. It takes almost a minute for it to load. <laughs> I think she's played like 10, 12,000 games. Uh, it's crazy. I wish it would show you the whole progression because she's played so much that like you would see like, oh yeah, now she's getting like I she's she now like semi regularly gets one that I've never I had never even seen before. So it's uh yeah. <laughs> it's like the thing she does which she's on the phone, the calls that interesting, she just like is passively playing threes constantly in the background, so it's a little scary. It's a great passive game. It, it yeah. really that sort of fl- uh, thumb flick action of it, man. Mm-hmm. You can really power through it. <laughs> it's a classic. Um, yeah, let's well, talk about fun. some tech. Let's talk about some tech news. Um, I'll try and come up with some more dumb challenges for us in the future. But in the meantime, uh, is there something you'd like to start with, Dan? Um, I, yeah, let's start with Clubhouse. Let's, let's start with Clubhouse. Right we haven't talked about it uh, here on the show previously, and there's been a bunch of news around it. Uh, so let's start with what is Clubhouse? Uh, Clubhouse is social audio, it would call itself. It's a live audio app. It's got more than 10 million downloads for an invite-only, iOS-only app, um, and they are huge, recently valued at $4 billion. Um Big names like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and other celebrities are all hanging out on there. Um, and uh, yeah, Dan, have you used Clubhouse? Uh, once. <laughs> okay. I think literally once. And I I think it's group audio calls, but only, I forget what it is, 20 maybe, something like that. People can be basically on stage at a time, almost like turntable mm-hmm. FM, RIP. Um, and there are people in charge who can like bring people on and off maybe or something. There's some way that you can become on stage. Only people on stage can talk. Everyone else is just listening. And there are all these different rooms, I think, with various topics led by various people and rooms can like start and end. Uh, yeah. So that that's the, how the app works. And we were talking uh, because we've missed a couple of weeks of the show and, and had a couple of hosts missing. You were, you joked, I think, Sean. Uh, it's so hard to schedule people to do audio call or video calls now because we do video calls all the way along. Yep. And I I started up Clubhouse and I didn't get it. And I was talking to a friend who was super into it, and that and that was her pitch. Was like, yeah, I hate doing audio video calls. God because that's all I do now. So Clubhouse is my way to like do something fun on the internet by myself that with a social that doesn't involve video. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so that's why I want to talk about it. Because uh, if you if uh, you do feel that way, you might not even realize you feel that way. Uh, you might get a kick out of Clubhouse. And, and I think that, that you would find it interesting either way. So I sent Sean an invite. So maybe next week he can uh, report back on what he's discovered. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. I think it's interesting, you know, for me, I find Twitch a very interesting platform because I've tried to spend more time on there checking stuff out. Mm-hmm. And what I'm very quickly learning, and I know this is going to sound have, obvious. Have you been uh, to tuning pe- into to Ludwig's uh, going on 30 day uh, stream? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, because I'm afraid if I do, I'm going to get the same idea and try and do it. So <laughs> it seems like the kind of stupid thing I would to do. Get the record. Yep. Uh, my life would be so boring. No one would watch. No. What interests me about Twitch is it's not about video games. It's about social communities. And it, it, the more time you spend there, the more obvious it becomes. It's not about what's being played. It's about who's playing it and who's there to watch. Exactly. And like I podcast. think it, it is. But the fact that it's live, it adds a, such an important layer of value to it that podcasts can just never achieve until now. Right. But what I think is interesting is if, if the COVID-19 pandemic never happened, I think Clubhouse becomes a harder sell. And I think you're right. It is a video fatigue thing. Now that everybody's looking at screens more than ever now, even outside of video chats, it's just way less person-to-person interaction. I think people, that's why we've seen a huge rise in podcast listening. And I think it is one of those technologies that it's just the right place at the right time to hit people. Now, What's interesting for me is, and this is why I want to get on there, and I will get on there and try it out, is these apps work based on who's using it. doesn't matter if you have the best technology in the world. If you don't have people on there people want to listen to, then forget about it. You're going nowhere fast. So I'm curious what types of people are on there, who has rooms, what the content type. If it's just a bunch of tech bros talking about how to accelerate your entrepreneurship, (laughs) I'm not really interested. It's a lot of that. If people... And I figure, and again, it's a, it's a Silicon Valley, it's a new app. I get that. And it's still invite only. So who do you think is getting invited? I get that. That's why I'm fascinated that um, basically every company on the planet is trying to roll out a competitor as quickly as possible. Twitter has spaces. Facebook has um, Hotline. Uh, Spotify acquired Locker Room. Mark Cuban has a startup. Slack announced they're working on something. Uh, even LinkedIn says they're working on something, which is kind of bonkers to me. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of competition. I- again, it's one of those not new technology, just old technology combined in a new way. I think it's neat. I'm glad people are having fun with it. We'll see where it goes. I agree that I don't think it would have been as successful in, in non-pandemic, which is which is interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, to answer your, your question about who's on there, it, it does seem like it's getting more and more diverse, but then the other thing that it had that is kind of Twitter like is to just be in a room where, uh, where some celebrities being asked questions live, where it doesn't feel like a TV show where you're saying, Oh, here's the 60 minutes interview recorded interview uh, or even like a news show it feels much more lo-fi and and because it's and here's the other thing that is probably going to drive you crazy like it drove me crazy the audio quality is terrible because it's just mm-hmm. a bunch of people on their phones talking uh so but i think there's something very authentic about hearing jay-z talk to you on the phone in your ear uh which maybe was a happy accident maybe not i don't know but yeah, I'm curious to see what you uh, what you think about it. Well, they also, you know, uh, they also rolled out a new direct payment system that lets you um, credit creators. And they actually uh, Clubhouse gives 100 percent of that to the creators uh, trying to get people to start up um, and pay. You know, I think. We, we've been doing these podcasts for a long time, Dan, if you can believe it. I told um, some of my coworkers today found out about the shows. Um, 
I, I try not to tell people I do these. It's it's embarrassing, but uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but they did find out, and I told them, yeah, I've been doing it for eight years. And they're like, eight years? I thought podcasts were only invented a few years ago. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Did, did uh, serial invent podcasts? I mean, no, we did, Dan. We invented podcasts, oh, right? right? right. Um, no, but it was funny because they were like... Um, we were, we've been doing video on this since day one and it's always been an enormous pain in the ass. It still is a pain in the ass eight years later. And I'm like, God, if my favorite podcasters gave me the option, I don't want to, let me, let me phrase it a different way. I'm on a Patreon for a podcast I really enjoy. And they just added video where they're recording their zoom calls. And part of the Patreon, you get the videos. I never watch the videos. I love the podcast. I don't want to look at them. Like there's a reason right. video podcasts never have really become a thing, but I'm like, damn, if they did like, you can listen to the podcast after the fact, or it's live on a clubhouse type app and you can chat with them while they're doing it. I'm like, man, that is a selling feature. That is so compelling um, to be able to have. And so live audio, there's a, there is a place for it. I'm curious if some of these big guys can scoop and how quickly clubhouse can sort of evolve. Um, but it, it, there is a future in the space. It's one of those. I'm surprised nobody's thought of it yet. Kind of things. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, um, we'll see. I would try it, Dan. Would you? Would you hop on a clubhouse with the Don't Panic crew? Yeah, sure. It'd be my first ever clubhouse. I think. I think that would be great. Did you what? see our show live on Clubhouse? <laughs> All right. Uh, I've got our next story. All right, hit me. Google Oracle. You always pick the complicated stories. Why? You can't do the Domino's delivers pizza with a robot story. We you already talked pizza. about that one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's so funny, Dan. You know, I, I pick these stories, and I almost know which ones you and Colby will pick uh, be, <laughs> oh, yeah. before the, I even the, put them in. The vacuum cleaner uh, laser dust detector thing, that's a Colby story for sure. Oh, very much. I, and I know, you know, and this is complete honesty where I'll be looking through the news and there'll be like a big story, but usually it's like some sort of international political thing or like some sort of ethical thing. And I'm like, if I put this in here, they're going to make me talk about it. So I just <laughs> won't. But this is a good one. And I know we'll have a good discussion around it. And you can explain to me some of this programming. Uh, the Supreme Court found on Monday uh, that Google could legally use elements of Oracle's Java application programming interface or API when building Android. The court's opinion concludes that APIs, which let programmers access other code, are significantly different from other types of computer programs. Quote, as part of an interface, the copied lines are inherently bound together with uncopyrightable ideas and the creation of new creative expressions, uh, just as Stephen Breyer writes in his opinion. Uh, unlike many other computer programs, he wrote, much of the copied lines value came from developers being invested in the ecosystem rather than the actual operations of the programs. Uh, Google had used the API to let Java programmers build Android apps, which the court declared is a fundamental transformative use and falls under fair use. So, yeah, I think I can explain this. And I think I have an analogy that is really going to make sense to you. Stellar. So you've used if this, then that. Mm -hmm. Right. Describe in if this, then that rule that you've made or is it called a rule? I don't know if it's called a rule. Uh, yes. It, if I upload a video to YouTube, then flash my Philip Hue lights. Right. 
And what are the components of that? Like when you when you program that, what are the like the boxes that you fill in? So I linked my YouTube account and I said when a video successfully finishes uploading. That's the if. There's an if thingy. Yep. Yeah. Then, and then there's like a, a venable thing, right? That can like yes. be the result of not just that action, but any action. Right. Uh, so though we would call both of those things an API and probably under the hood, it's exactly an API. So in if this and that's code base, there's this concept of a thing that uh, is like a then an if thing, right? So it produces a yes or no answer. And so you you might even express it as like an if thing is a thing that when you call it, it says like yes or no, like do this thing or don't do this thing. That would be an API. And then the then thing would be like, hey, then stuff is stuff that you call and then something else happens. Like it's a pretty generic idea. Uh, it could mm -hmm. be anything. We don't care what it is. And then combine these two things together and you get something really cool. Like if this, then that is like, pretty basic programming stuff, but just those two APIs or interfaces allow you to chain things together in really interesting ways. Uh, and so like this Java API that they're talking about is really just a bunch of things like the if, ifable stuff and the venable stuff collected together in a package and the operations that operate on those things. Um, so you can imagine the, like the if this and that library is of all the different tasks and stuff that you can do, that's kind of like an API. And if you wanted to make a new if this then that competitor, you might say like, well, hey, uh, Philips Hue, you don't need to rewrite your code. We support like venable things just the same way as if this and that does. Um, hey, YouTube, you don't need to like, change anything about your code, you just add our website and send us the same stuff that you send, if this and that, and we'll handle it the same way. That would be analogous to what Google was doing with Java, where they're like, hey, programmers, you already know all these, like, you've already written code to deal with all this Java stuff. So we, like, have some code that to you looks exactly the same. It takes the same parameters, gives the same output. Yep. Um, now, crucially, Google did not copy the implementations of those things. So that would be copyright infringement. But they were arguing that the idea of that you could have like a collection of thing of ifables and thenables and and bundle that as an application is not copyrightable, even though the specific way you wrote the code could be. And that is what the Supreme Court agreed with. That the concepts of like, hey, I have because so, this could like the the uh, I always forget this word. The worst case scenario here is that a bunch of people could go around, if the Supreme Court had made the opposite decision, a bunch of people could go around and um, copyright, like adding two numbers together in a programming language. Like, hey, you, it's a function. It takes two numbers and it returns another number, which is the sum of the two numbers you gave it. Copyrighted. It's like, well, wait a second. Like how, you know, there are many ways to add two numbers together. Actually, there are many ways. But there's only one way to speak like describe the operation of adding two numbers together such that someone else could use the code, right? Or like downloading a website. Like imagine you wrote some code to download a website. What would it, what would be its inputs? The URL? And what would be its outputs? 
the HTML of the page. And so if you could copyright that idea, then like it would suck. It would be terrible. Um, and so not only can you not copyright that idea, but by the transitive property, I think it's saying that a collection of APIs is also not copyrightable because each thing is just the general concept. Yep, uh, it, it was a six to two ruling, uh, in this case, over roughly 11,500 lines of code in Android's code base representing 37 separate APIs. Uh, this fight has spanned more than 10 years, three trials, two separate appeals. Lately in 2018, uh, they ruled that Google's implementation was not fair use, which put the company at risk of up to $8.8 billion in damage. Uh, but today's decision overturned that ruling, allowing Google to continue its use of the code without threat of copyright claim. Yeah, it's been going on the entire time I've been a programmer, longer. <laughs> My entire career. I remember reading about this code base when we were in, or uh, this court case when we were in college. Yeah. Yep. It was a long time uh, ago. Massive ruling. Massive ruling between two companies that all this money is just pennies to them. So <laughs> Yeah. Also, like, I don't know. It, it really speaks to Oracle, right? Where it was a risky court case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, any, I, I believe any copyright lawyer would tell you this was not, like, a slam dunk case either way. And the fact that Oracle would be like, you know what, we're going to, you know, for the possibility of $8 billion, like how many do you, I don't know. I guess I don't know how these companies work, but for 10 years of court cases, but how many billions of dollars did they spend on it? But they had won a number of cases over those years. That's the interesting. They won that 2018 uh, appellate court case that said Google was wrong. Uh, they won a case in 2014 previous to this that said that APIs could be subject to copyright um, in a controversial decision. Uh, the Supreme Court did not de- uh, decline to hear that appeal. So they have won cases along the way. Um, oh, just not just this demand- case against Google. No, in the end, well, it's one of those things where you can have all sorts of different courts turn, overturn, appeal, this, that. You can go back and forth all day long. Once the Supreme Court rules in, that is it. So it was always inevitably heading towards the Supreme Court. It was just a matter of time. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. One of those things. It was cool to see on social media, too, like a bunch of former Google employees chiming in on on what it was like to be part of the case and Mm -hmm. to be asked to testify. Uh, And Google, being a huge company with tons of money, had lawyers working on this case for like this whole time too and they were working with other google employees on it so that sounded like a pretty cool um collaboration i I don't know how often that it gets to happen like i i bet that engineers at google get to work with lawyers all the time but not for fun reasons not for reasons that feel like you're fighting for justice (laughs) <laughs> more for reasons like really don't want to have to comply with this EU privacy law or uh, how do we prevent uh, users from suing us sort of thing. This this felt like a, uh, it would have been fun. Yes, indeed. Hopefully the start of uh, courts getting smart about how technology works, something historically they haven't done. Mm, yeah, we'll see. Uh, any other stories in here worth talking about, Dan? Oh, let's see. 
Um, we've got I Apple think... rumors. We've got T-Mobile 5G in the home. Well, we've got... version 14.5 or whatever still isn't out. Um, no, no, but I'm on beta seven of it or something. So <laughs> they're working should on I just, it. Should I just go to beta? No, you know what it is? Like, do you know I have not worn my Apple Watch in two months oh, because I borked it so Watch bad on the back? Yeah, I screwed it up so bad on the beta. Oh, geez. And it doesn't work at all? No, it's just. It's because I have a Series 3, which is the last model they had where the it was like an 8 gigabyte storage, and then they went to like 64 and it wasn't a problem. But the size of the beta update is so big. <laughs> That it ate right. up the entire watch to the point where it's constantly telling me it's full and I can't load any apps or do anything on it, but I also can't downgrade. So it's just a whole thing. It's easier right. for me not to wear it than fix it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Although truthfully, I haven't missed it. Oh, uh, not at bad. all. Not at all. I do, like, since I've left the city, uh, or at least temporarily, and we've done a lot more outdoor stuff. That has meant for me a lot more exercise. And now I'm, I'm really seeing how, for, for most people, this is really just an, a fitness device. And it is great for that. Like, it's cool to see, it's just to have the, that fitness app, and it has every most conceivable, it has badminton as, 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 as an activity. And, and they each have, like, customized... Um, stats so if you're going hiking you'll see your elevation and how, how many miles you went and stuff it's, it's cool i i get it i mean that that reminds me like maybe we can just do a, a quick uh mega apple rumor dump what, one i remember seeing i don't have a source for this is the uh the rugged apple watch Did you hear about this the explorer yes. edition yes i think that would do super well now that i've been living the the outdoors life with the apple watch yeah, this is uh, the story from Bloomberg, uh, a one with a rugged casing. Um, of course, Bloomberg, I can't read the article because I don't pay for it, so never mind. Um, <laughs> Anyways, rugged casing. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is interesting. It's very breakable. Um, yes. For sure. Uh, what else? And then we got this uh, Apple TV HomePod combination thing. I have lots of questions about how that would work. Like, how would you yeah, put so it under your TV? Like, would it be a sound bar? Yeah, so supposedly, uh, the latest rumor, this was in the news this week, um, is a, uh, well, A, they're going to do a smart speaker with a display like the Echo Show or the Nest Hub, which I think we were all expecting them to do, basically a HomePod with a screen on it. The more interesting thing is a TV accessory. Um, which would have a combination of an Apple TV, which plugs into your TV and it's got the game and the streaming video service and all that. It's got a built-in speaker that would be much closer to a HomePod. So probably I would assume like a sound bar or side-by-side speakers you can mount on your television. Um, and then it would also include a camera as a video calling device, whether that's below the TV or above the TV, not sure how that would work, but sort of a combination of all those features into a single device. Yeah, I I don't think I don't I'm skeptical of this because the wording in that like press release for getting rid of the HomePod 
was it sounded very final. It was like we're doing the HomePod Mini instead of this. Yep. Not, and I feel like if they were instead going to replace it with a thing specialized for TVs and then a thing that has a screen, and those are your higher end Siri balls, uh, they wouldn't have discontinued the HomePod. But I think the home. I mean, they would have discontinued it, but they would have discontinued it when they introduced those other products. If they're really going to be introduced in like the summer or whatever. Well, I just don't think when they introduce a new product, I just think they don't want you thinking about their crappy dead product. Nobody wanted. And so I think you quietly have that go away. And then a month later, you announce the new thing. But I think the mistake of the home pod to me and we talked about this a little bit before when it was officially killed, is it is just such a narrow-use device. I mean, it was really designed to play music. And yeah, it had some smart home stuff in it, but Siri's kind of mediocre and whatever. And at the price point and the size, the Mini makes a lot more sense than the big one, because the big one, it was kind of like the old um, Apple Hi-Fi back in the day with the iPod dock, where it's like, you got to really be into sound to, to pay for this thing. I think if you take the HomePod technology... And you build it into a sound. Soundbars are so hot right now. Uh, everybody's doing them. You build it into a soundbar. It's got Siri built in. It's got Apple TV built in. It's got a camera built in with FaceTime integration. I think that is a very... Com- if Apple really does want to go into the home space, and we saw it when they introduced the HomePod Mini, they were really explaining how this is part of your life, your day-to-day life. I think they need more devices than just the mini. And I think a TV accessory like that, usually with the TV being the centerpiece of the home, I think just makes so much sense that they already have the technology to do it. My question becomes the next step of that is building a TV with all of this already built into it. I don't think they're there yet. I think that's the conclusion. I think a soundbar, in my opinion, is a no brainer for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a soundbar would be interesting. Because nobody's yes. really cracked the camera in your living room concept. Because you've got the Facebook portal. You've had a few of these other, dev- you're, obviously your Google Nest and stuff. But I don't think anybody, in my experience, has really knocked it out of the park where my TV starts ringing and it's a video call from somebody and I answer and I talk to them. And I think FaceTime, there was the story earlier this week talking about why uh, Apple never built iMessage for Android. It was part of the Epic court case. Um, and it was basically Phil Schiller was quoted as basically saying, why would we ever do that? We have them locked into our ecosystem, which doesn't help them in a court case, but it's a good point. Like people love FaceTime and use it all the time, more so than almost any other chat video chat system in the world. And so to put it on TV, I think that might finally be one that works. Yeah. Huh. Well, do, do you think we're going to get a uh, Apple event before WWDC? You know, there's so many. I've seen a bunch of rumors flying around. I think it would have happened by now. Yeah, me too. Uh, so I think they're going to wait to WWDC. My thought is, and I read this a little bit, I don't take full credit for it, is that Apple has some really cool stuff to announce, but they really want to wait for a live in-person event to do it. And WWDC is remote. Uh, it's all virtual this year. And so my thought is anything really cool may wait until late summer into the fall. I think if you're going to do, and they did the HomePod, by the way, in the fall as well. If you're going to do a consumer 
under the Christmas tree device, you do it in the fall. Uh, and so I think there've been rumors as well about possibly their AR glasses project being talked about this year. That to me is more WWDC. I think if they did a home pod device, I think that would wait until the fall. So it's, it's uh, on people's minds for the holiday season. Yeah. I'm just waiting for air tags, man. <laughs> Keep waiting. Keep, Keep waiting. waiting. Although there was uh, the, there was the story right, about, I, I can uh, get the Belkin ones in June or whatever. Yes, the having the uh, find my technology built into third party products is already starting to roll out. Which would suggest to me that there was at one point an Apple event scheduled for March, April. Probably. I mean, historically, I'd have to look to be sure, but historically, there usually is something. But again, it's not, they've sort of yo yoed around where some years it's like, we we we're putting iPod iPads in schools and like that's the whole event. We have a crayon that you can write like that was the whole event. And then there's some years where it's like brand new Apple Watch. We've never done it before. A whole new product. Boom in March. So uh, they've never really been unlike uh, WWDC and then the fall. They've never really been consistent in how they use the March announcement. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed. Keep your fingers crossed and your credit card at the ready. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they'll sell something you want to buy. <laughs> ready for picks? Uh, yeah, man, let's do it. We got picks. You've got a practical pick. I've got a less practical pick, but I, I got to hear about this. This looks sexy as hell. What are you picking this week? So uh, there's a product out there called VimCal. And it's, have you heard of like Superhuman, the email app somewhat controversial email app invite only month pay monthly yep uh so uh vimcal is the thing i'm picking vimcal.com and it is kind of a keyboard based reimagining of the calendar app and it has a couple features that really endear it to me the first one is, I'm going to save my favorite for last, and it's one of the simplest. Uh, it has, like, built-in kind of, uh, what's that thing called? Calendly, is that what it's called? Where you can do, you can do... Uh, slots? Slots, like, hey, like, yeah. here, pick a slot. Pick a slot on my calendar. Um, so that's pretty cool. It has a time zone shifting thing. So if you create a lot of meetings with people in different time zones, you can just, like, press a button and type in the time zone. It'll overlay that time zone on your calendar. So you can see like, Oh yeah, my one o'clock is there six o'clock or whatever. And just the fact that everything has a keyboard shortcut. So you can do it all from the keyboard kind of Gmail style, superhuman style. But my number one favorite feature is you switch to your calendar. You see, Oh, I have a meeting coming up in two minutes. Uh, it could be with a customer. It could be internal. It could be with a different company and they all might be using different, video conferencing solutions you don't care you press v and it opens your browser to the link of the next video call on your calendar not only does it do that not only does it do that but uh you know in in the covid times we often have uh different kinds of video calls we don't just have work video calls we have personal video calls it will know which calendar your invite came from and open that link with the correct account signed in. Wow. So you don't have to do the like, all right, I'm gonna like go 
open up the Google map, the Google meet like, ah, shit. It's my personal account. Like, all right, like resign it up. God damn it. It's like, you know, time to, uh, time to do the Google off dance again. Uh, nope, just works. It's great. Uh, I think it's $10 a month. Vimcal. So I would re only recommend this if you, uh, uh, make a lot of meetings and you don't have an assistant, <laughs> but if that describes you, uh, definitely get Vimcal. It's, it's a joy to use. This is, you know, we were earlier talking about what is a Colby pick. This is such a signature Dan pick, which <laughs> is a really cool looking piece of software. That's about two levels more complicated than 90% of people need. And so, um, I love it. I think this is great. You're a manager now. You must you must have a lot of meetings. Too too many meetings. But the issue is my meetings are all the same. Where <laughs> it's not like I'm meeting with a lot of they're all like it's teams meetings with internal people, the same people over and over again. So I'm not quite this hardcore. But do you make I'm, a lot I'm of looking at I'm like I do, but again, just with internal people in Outlook and it's, it's I, I I wish I needed this I really do because it looks cool as hell but it's great yeah I keep my well I, in some ways I hope that you don't need it but if you ever do <laughs> <laughs> tough problem to have but at least there's a solution vimcal.com check it out um I've got a movie for you this week I think the hardest I've laughed in quite a while um I don't are you familiar with Eric Andre Dan? no I know about uh, Andrea Bocello. Definitely not the same. Uh, Eric Andre, uh, he is a very funny comedian. He's the host of the Eric Andre show on Adult Swim. And he is just one of those like insane, weird out there kind of guys. And he's known for doing pranks, but not like traditional pranks, but pranks that are just like odd and weird. But he's a very smart and charming individual. Uh, anyway, he went and made a movie called Bad Trip. It's on Netflix right now. And it's one of the more interesting concepts I've seen in a while because it is a narrative film told through pranks on real people and it's not like youtube goofy silly pranks but somehow you're thinking like well that's like basically borat right and i'm like it kind of is except the 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 pranks actually tell the narrative of the story it's such a fascinating concept i've never seen before huh. and the pranks are so funny um the stuff they pull on these real people uh you will just absolutely just laugh your ass off on this and the reactions they get. And Eric Andre is one of the best sort of prank producers I've ever seen, who is just an absolute pro at setting them up, getting the shots, making sure it's staying hidden, getting real reactions. Um, there's a, uh, I won't tea. You can watch the trailer if, before you watch the movie, but uh, I think one of my favorites was he goes into, they're at a zoo on their road trip in the movie. And he goes into a gorilla enclosure and gets uh, sexually assaulted by the gorilla. Who's actually in a gorilla suit, but everyone else in the zoo is a real person. And just watching them is just, uh, I, I, it's genuinely worth the hour and a half of the movie. You're, you're going to have a good time. So bad trip. It is available on Netflix. Okay. Thank also, you. like the Eric Andre show on adult swim as well, uh, which is very weird and very funny. You bring celebrities on, uh, who don't know the show is just basically messing with them and just pulls some of the wackiest stuff on them you've ever seen. It's it's very odd. So Now, see, that, that to me is so surprising because don't 
celebrities have publicists and, and stuff? Well, and we're like, I, they're not like A-list celebrities. These are uh-huh. like reality show type celebrities, mm. you know, very deep. Like there was famously an episode with Fav- Flava Flav or uh, Lauren Conrad from The Hill. He, he, he fake vomited on his desk and then started to eat it in front of her. And she ran off the set. I mean, just it's just insane stuff he pulls on these people. And it's very, but it's not one of those like he's being a dick kind of things. It's really just how far can I push people? Um, it's very, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Bad trip. Bad trip. It's a good movie. Check it out. All right. Anything else, Dan? I'm good. I'm looking forward to getting the whole band back together at some point. Uh, someday we will do it, but it's always, you know, as much as I love having three of us together, it's such a different vibe when we mix and match the different hosts. So it's good to mix it up once in a while. Um, but I'll be very excited when we're back together. You're right. Before we wrap it up here, I do have to tease up for debate. I know you're a big listener, Dan. You've been enjoying all of our recent episodes. Uh, is it March still Madness. Uh, March Madness? Thank God our nightmare is over. Uh, we finally ended March Madness last week in the middle of April, um, but but we did it. Uh, listen to the whole month, our text-based adventure games. It really was a ton of fun. Uh, something new for Matt and I to do. Check it out. And also, this coming week, we are kicking off our summer book club. You're not going to want to miss it. Matt and I are each coming with a couple of books. We're going to choose one of each other's uh, bookshelf. And then we're going to read them and talk about them later in the summer. So uh, if you're looking for some reading recommendations, now is the time to check out the show over at upfordebate.tv or search up for debate is where the, we get podcasts. Is the book list published? The reading list? No, we, it's, uh, it, we haven't decided yet. It will be. And that's why we pick it. But then we won't actually do the shows on the books until like a month or two later. So. Right. We all have time to read it. But yeah, Matt and I surprised each other with a list of books. It worked really well last year. We read um, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicles, which I still think would have maybe one of my favorite books I've ever read that uh, Matt brought to my attention, something I would normally never read and was such a treat. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we always find some good new stuff. I'm excited to see what we bring. Um, cool. And that is that. So wonderful. So thanks everybody out there for joining us. Of course, our website's don'tpanic.io. Go there, check it out. Uh, it's a great place to get all the episodes and links to the picks. You can also follow us uh, all over the place at Don't Panic Show on Twitter, emails don'tpanicshow at gmail.com. We will be back next week with Colby, with Dan, with myself, with the whole game, talking tech news, talking what's new. We hope you come back and join us then. But until then, I'm Sean. He's Dan. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time for an all new Don't Panic. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Dan Miller, Colby Rabideau, and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.